The Locked and Loaded Latinos podcast is part of the Self-Defense Radio Network. All your pro-freedom podcasts in one place. You can find the Self-Defense Radio Network at sdrn.us. Some of the great shows that you'll see there are the Polite Society podcast, Self-Defense Gun Stories, Gun Freedom Radio, Riding Shotgun with Charlie, and many, many others. Thank you so much for being a listener, and we hope you enjoy the show. As always, I am joined by my lovely and beautiful co-host, my wife, Johanna, Latina Locked and Loaded. And we are also joined by our special guest today, Luis Valdez, the Florida Director of Gun Owners of America. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lewis, especially on this Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, everyone else that's out there joining us today. We really appreciate it. I know it's a busy and exciting night for some people, and we're glad that you're taking the time to spend it with us. So without further ado, uh, Lewis, thank you so much for joining us and uh, and spending your time uh, with us today. Thanks for having me. I really love being on the show. It's our pleasure. So uh, let's let's get it started. So uh let's get a little bit into your background we usually don't uh mince any words here we like to get started uh uh, right away uh how did you get involved in really the second amendment what's your background and let's go through your story of how you got uh, started with firearms and you got to the point where now you're the director of the goa and you know obviously leading uh efforts and advocacy it's a really long story but i could cut it short i started as a kid my father uh he was an average shooter and a cop for 35 years and a firearms instructor so i literally grew up around firearms some of the earliest memories i have is going to a trailblades range down in miami with my dad and shooting a beretta 92 shooting a little beretta 950 in 22 and 25 going dove hunting on lake okeechobee so for me it was you know it's just natural progression i grew up completely around guns it was it wasn't anything shocking or or alien to me in my household i mean my abuelo carried my dad carried my padrino carried so it was that's awesome a natural progression so i can see that and if people can't already tell what your background is if you want to talk a little bit about your background obviously uh i think that you're hispanic (laughs) i think you're one of the latinos what gave you that idea (laughs) just for the people that don't know so I'm Cuban. My parents, both of my parents are from Cuba. Uh, my father's, both my my mother and my father, they came here in uh, the early 1960s. My father's side settled in Miami. My uh, mother's side settled in New Jersey. Um, but I had a, an uncle that was involved in the Bay of Pigs. Wow. Trying to overthrow Fidel Castro. Um, we are devotely anti-communist and very pro-freedom. Awesome. That is awesome. Uh, when when did you first get introduced to guns? I know that you said it was when you were a child, but how did that kind of approach? Everybody's got kind of their first story that they remember. The earliest story that I remember is I was uh, about maybe four or five years old, and I had my Red Rider BB gun that I would always take in the backyard and shoot with my dad. But for a real firearm, I was about six years old, and he bought me a single-shot 20-gauge shotgun. And I would go uh, duck hunting with him. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the hunt, he loaded it and he handed it to me and he said, okay, this is how you shoot it. You know, and he's going over the safety instructions and all that. And I look at him as 
a six-year-old smart act going, I know what I know what I'm doing. So of course I bring the thing up to my shoulder, I pull the trigger and it knocks me flat on my butt. <laughs> I didn't I didn't sight down the barrel right. It had an external hammer. The hammer went and uh, grazed my cheek, gave me a good oh, scratch. Man. And he's there going like, oh, God, your mom's going to kill me. And I'm just like, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. This is really fun. How old were you? I was maybe six, seven years old. Wow. That's pretty so, awesome. So ever since then, I mean, I have grew up sports shooting and hunting. And from there, as an adult, went to the Army, then became okay. a cop. So firearms have been with me in one form or another, either professionally or privately for the majority of my life. Oh, that's fantastic. You have anything, Jack? I was just going to say, it's refreshing to hear a origin story from a Hispanic where they did grow up with guns. Cause from where I come from in New York, it's, um, you know, Hispanics tend to generally be anti-gun. So oh, that, that's my mother's side. My mother grew up in Union City, New Jersey. So she's I'm pro, just, she's they're pro-gun. Pro yeah. Okay. My mom's pro-gun, but but I understand completely the whole scenario of it because mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I got family in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania and all up there scattered and some, some are pro gun and some are anti and it's because that's where they grew up. That's, you know, that was the, the native culture there as, as, Im as immigrants, when you come to the United States, you know, you always keep a little bit of the old country, but you assimilate and take part of the new country with you. And sadly, if you grew up in, New York or New Jersey or Connecticut, that's the anti-gun culture is very prevalent down there or mm -hmm. up there. Down here in Florida, it's completely different. You know, we're, we're known as the gunshine state for a reason. Yeah. Um, I really like to hear that because it's, um, I don't know if you've experienced this. In Florida, it's not that, especially when you're not in South Florida, uh, you're in Northern Florida. Um, we, we get the, um, well, at least where I come from, you get the uh, idea or, or you hear the idea that Hispanics, it's almost like you're not really part of, that's not really part of culture or that's not really part of what being a Hispanic is about. So it's good to hear that that's just certain enclaves or local beliefs versus an uh, overall national oh, it, it's, sentiment. It's, it's very much not not part of the the overall majority because remember Latinos and Hispanics were not a homogenous community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, you got Cubans, Venezuelans, Puerto Ricanos, Dominicans, Ecuadorians, you know, you name it. And we all have different backgrounds. We all have different nationalistic backgrounds with different strifes and struggles and experiences. And on top of that, depending on where these communities settled in the United States, that also shapes the current local culture and mindset. I grew up in Miami going Guanos that came here in the 60s and 70s and the Balsedos that came here after uh, the Mariel boat lift in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So for them, the idea of being armed is crucial. I mean, yep. look, you go, to, you, you go to Hialeah, you got a gun store on every corner. Yep, mm -hmm. it's true. So. How do you feel about the idea that um, some say that Latinos, there's there's a not enough of a presence in the Second Amendment community um, or in the gun community and what we can do to kind of like create a sense of community because like uh, we've talked about this before on the show, the black community is definitely having a renaissance um, in guns and gun culture. Um, you think there's any way because of we have that diversity in our, 
you know, there's not just one race of Hispanics. We're just a conglomeration of a culture, really. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there's any way to unify Hispanics or have them, you know, kind of unite in this um, community around oh, very, very much so. I think that there's definitely a way to unify and unite the different various Hispanic communities here in Florida and in the country as a whole. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, if you go to Puerto Rico right now, uh, their previous governor just recently signed a law that changed that completely revamped their gun laws yep. to be something far better than what it was. It's not perfect, mm -hmm. but it's a hell of a lot better because they used to be May issue. You had to go before a judge and hire a lawyer and you had to spend close to a thousand dollars to petition the judge to issue you a May issue permit just to own. Mm -hmm. And good luck getting a concealed carry permit. Now with the new revisions, the the permit to own is also automatically the carry permit and it is now shall issue yep and so, i believe they they have a reciprocity now with concealed carry permits as well yes yes yeah. the, from my from my reading of the law both in english and spanish they have reciprocity so yep. yeah you know prior prior to that revision in their law it used to be that if you had a florida concealed carry permit and you wanted to go to puerto rico you know from a flight from miami to pr is 100 bucks you know, yep. you wanted to go for the weekend, you couldn't carry. Ahora, you can. Now you could go and you could carry and it's not a problem. Yep. And so there is change going on. And I think part of it, too, is genera is generational. Um, but in terms of uniting the different groups, you know, like in South Florida, you got the Cubans and Venezuelans. They both fled Hugo Chavez and Fidel yep. Castro. So there's already a cultural um, ember in that diaspora that is the spark that could be ignited for pro second amendment stances. Definitely. Now, now with your Latinos out West, you know, a lot of them are Chicanos and Mexicanos. It's a completely different historical mindset for them. It's a good, yeah. it's a different cultural mindset for them. But if you want to reach them, I think a good way is to look at their, at, at their culture. There were vaqueros, you know, they were people that settled uh, inhospitable desert and, uh, fought, you know, fought in the uh, the natives to make their country of what it is. And I'm not saying that what they did is right or wrong, but that's part of their history. They sure. have as much history with the firearm as Americans do in terms of, you know, settling the new world and colonizing, I can't say the word right now, col colonizing mm -hmm. and, you know, set and and keeping their homestead safe from attack. The same thing with with the Mexicanos, you know. These are people that fought the Indians. They fought um, uh, cattle rustlers. They fought people that wanted to kick them off their their lands. You name it. Mm -hmm. They grew up with firearms as much as everyone else. They even had a revolution in the early 1900s to overthrow oppression, mm -hmm. and they used firearms. You know, you go to Mexico. What's one of the most popular guns? Is the 94 Winchester and 3030. Why? Because that was the gun of the Mexican Revolution. Mm -hmm. So there, there's different ways that you could always, I, I hate to say it, but market. No, that's, that's absolutely what, it, what it, yeah, that mm -hmm. that's actually part of what um, you have to do as a Second Amendment advocate. Um, unfortunately, that's why we have Instagrams and Facebook accounts and you have to take pictures and, and learn that sense of marketing to kind of sell, unfortunately, sell the idea <laughs> or try to convince people of the idea, one, to start caring and two, to take action. Unfortunately, that is what, you know, we have to do. 
Yeah. And to show off the lifestyle too, so that people see it's a normal thing. It's not like some crazy weird people are the only ones that carry guns. So it could be anybody. Yeah. If, if you, you know, out of all the countries in the world, only a couple have in their founding documents, the right to keep and bear arms. You know, one of the other countries, other than the United States, you know, one of the other countries that has it, Mexico. Yep. Now, currently their version of the second amendment is horribly butchered. But if you read their original constitution, it was plain as day. It was basically Mexicans have the right to keep and bear arms to overthrow oppression, just as Mm -hmm. Americans do. So all that needs to be done is everyone has that ember in them for liberty and freedom. You just need to to light it. You need to give it fuel. You need to feed it so it grows into a a raging inferno because Mm – that's what it comes down to. You know, you could get people from the Northeast and bring them down to Florida. And at first they always freak out. I, you know, I would always see it at the range. Oh my God, you don't need a permit to own. And how can you have this? And, and why is that legal? And then after a little while, they're like, wow, this is great. I love it. It, yep. it takes introduction. You need to bring them into the fold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, t- tapping into that history is really important. Uh, like you said, down here, it's much easier, obviously, with the Cubans and the Venezuelans, because they have direct experience of if we had the opportunities that, you know, people in the U.S. had, maybe our countries wouldn't have ended up the same the way that they did. Um, so that's always a direct example, because when you start talking about it, they can sympathize, they can, you know, kind of back you up and say, yeah, if we had had those opportunities, we would have been okay. So don't take those things for granted. And let's be perfectly honest. A lot of times it's easier to accept the message from somebody that looks and sounds like you as opposed to somebody that isn't. Cause then you're just like, well, what, what do you really care about? Or what do you know about my experiences? So even if like we're not a homogenous, um, you know, minority group as Hispanics, sometimes it's enough to have a coalition of, you know, Cubans, Venezuelans, Puerto Ricans, that we can talk about Mexico and you can say, well, you didn't necessarily go through the same history, especially recently that Cubans and Venezuelans have had, but here's, here's why we believe what we believe in. And here's a direct example of what happened. It wasn't that far away from you. And it was with people that share a similar culture, if not the same, whereas it's not like, well, it was the American revolution. I don't necessarily have as an immigrant to the United States, that doesn't have the same meaning to me as my own experiences. Or my yeah, own history. You, you, you have that right. You hit the nail right on the head. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to go back with history about revolution, all of Latin America gained their independence from Spain through armed uprising. It yep. was the people of, of Colombia. It was the people of Peru. It was the people of Venezuela. It was the people of Argentina, Chile, mm-hmm. you know, of everywhere that basically said, we're done with the yoke of oppression that is from Spain on the other side of the world. We want to run our own affairs. And this was in the same time period as the Americans did. You know, mm-hmm. the, in 1776, the United States told King George in England, F you, we're going our own way. Shortly after that, it, you had the same thing happen down in South America with them telling the Spanish Empire, we're done. We want freedom and we want independence. We're tired of paying your taxes without having any representation. We're tired of being ruled by people that aren't from here. We are our own people. And they cast it off the crown just as we did here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, And another thing, too, that a lot of people don't realize, especially with Latinos, is a good chunk of the U.S., was originally Hispanic, Florida, for example. Yep. You know, this was founded by Spain, the oldest 
city in the United States is St. Augustine. It was a Spanish city. Yep. You go out west, you go to Colorado, you go to Texas, you go to Arizona, New Mexico, California, you have Chicanos, you have uh, Alto Californians, you have in New Mexico, old M Imperial Spaniards in, in Texas, you have Tejanos, you know, you have guys that were, you know, you have people that could trace their lineage back to when Spain colonized the area and they sided with, with Americans to form Texas. Yep. So it's the idea that Hispanics as an overall population in the United States are anti-gun. I find it ludicrous and laughable because you have people all across the country from every race and every background and every ethnicity, whether they could trace their lineage back to Jamestown or they rose their right hand last week to take the oath of citizenship. They all have the same drive for freedom. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. absolutely true. There's America, you know, one of the one of the slogans for America is e pluribus unum, out of many, one. one. We are a country of many. We're an idea. We're not a people in terms of of race or nationality or, or homogeneous. We're a people in terms of we all want freedom and liberty. Mm -hmm. In the chat, Kathleen Music Lover asks um, that a certain political side uses the Hispanic community um, for its anti-gun uh, propaganda. So how do you counter the culture of anti-gun? Uh, I'd like to respond with, by doing what we're doing, um, by leading by example, by trying to be more prominent and countering that argument with you know, presenting ourselves as Hispanic Americans and creating that culture that is um, Hispanic Americans don't have to be anti-gun. It just doesn't make you a race traitor, which I've actually heard, by the way, which is crazy. That's, um, that's ludicrous. That's <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But that's all we can do because, I mean, it's the same way that they create a culture around that. We have to create a culture around, you know, this. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the funny thing that I always find with the whole idea of, oh, you're a race traitor, you're this, you're that, is... It's, you know, because of my last name and the fact that I could trace my ancestry to Spain, how does that make me any different than uh, someone that could trace their ancestry to England or someone that could trace their ancestry to Germany or someone that could trace their ancestry to the Sioux or the Navajo or the Cherokee? Yep. I mean, either you like freedom or you don't. And I think the best way to counter it is to is to bring up three things, historical examples of what totalitarian dictatorship does whether it's right wing or left wing. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people constantly get confused with fighting for liberty and they make it a political issue of of the two party system of either right versus left when in reality I think it's an issue of freedom versus authoritarianism. That's um, that's why I've always said statism and anti-statism. Yeah because yeah. I mean if, if you want to look at two regimes that are polar opposites of each other but we're both anti-gun, you could look at communist Cuba and uh, fascist Spain yep. under Francisco, uh, under Franco, uh, Francisco Franco, you know, both were one party dictatorships ruled by strong men who went after their political opponents with the oppressive, with the oppressive boot of government curb stomping them into oblivion. Mm -hmm. Now in Spain, he went after Marxists, he went after communists, he went after leftists. In Cuba, 
they went after anyone that was conservative, anyone that was a right winger, anyone that was um, uh, a capitalist. You know, both are polar opposites in the extremes of each other. The, the real solution to this is government shouldn't have the authority either way, whether they're right wing or they're left wing. Who should have the authority is the people. And the people only have that authority if they're armed. Mm-hmm. And exactly. I, I despise communism. I despise uh, fascism. I despise any sort of ism. And it's really interesting. Looking through history, if you read some of the works of uh, Karl Marx, even though he created one of the worst political theories, in my opinion, even he agreed. The proletariat, the uh, the, the Soviet, uh, the, the, the communist worker, should be armed to make sure that they're not oppressed. Mm-hmm. George Orwell, he was a, a British socialist. He pushed that his people should be armed. No different than George Washington and uh, Thomas Jefferson pushed that, you know, Americans should be armed. Yep. Is it, they, everyone understands when you get rid of the ability for the people to be able to keep and bear arms, then the people are able to be crushed by whatever regime is in charge. Yep. That is absolutely true. I got to share a really nice metaphor that G-Webs in the chat says, we are a melting pot, not an ice cube tray. It's all about learning and sharing. <laughs> I, I like that. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. Thanks, G-Webs. Um, yeah, and I think, I think that's really the biggest weapon that they use against us is the erasing of history or trying to just obfuscate it. And we forget that so many times gun control is rooted in racism. You know, the the origin the origins of gun control were to at least in the United States, I should say. Obviously, gun control in general is about control, you know, government control. But in the US, it was always prevented at first to keep, you know, slaves, uh, newly freed slaves from owning firearms and turning against their former oppressors and things like that. So it's always had these roots of the government wants power over the people for one reason or another, and they know that the only way that they can maintain that monopoly is by eliminating, you know, any opposition or force or tool that can be used uh, against them. Um, obviously, the the gun is the most effective one, but we've seen it with speech as well. That's why those are the first and second amendments. They're the two most effective means for countering a government. So those are the first two things that you usually see go. So yep. and because that's it. You can't spread information without the First Amendment, and you can't defend that ability to spread information without firearms or whatever their equivalent are in the future. We might have lasers and plasma weapons. They'll still be the same thing, and they'll still be covered under the Second Amendment as far as I'm concerned. So, I, I can't I can't wait to be able to walk into a shop and get a phased plasma rifle. In the range. It'll be the best, and then you don't even have to worry about ammo crisis. I just recharge the battery, man, and I'm good to go. <laughs> but, you know, you, you brought up... Um, the the racist roots of gun control even here in florida um after the civil war the the state constitution was rewritten to where it says that we the people have the right to keep and bear arms but the legislature has the authority to regulate the carrying of arms and the Mm. entire purpose of that was after um the union pulled out uh during reconstruction and the uh, racist uh southern democrats regained control uh, they instituted Jim Crow. And the first yeah. thing they wanted to do was disarm the free black population here in Florida. Mm-hmm. I don't have the notes in front of me right now, but there was a Supreme, there was a state Supreme court case in 1941 about uh, carrying a firearm inside of a vehicle. And um, the court justice, I believe his name was justice Buford 
I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it directly in front of me, but he basically said, I know of this law. This law was written specifically to keep black people disarmed. We never specifically enforced it against the poor white population, even though the law was on paper supposed to be enforced uh, across all, all racial bounds. And he basically said that, yeah, you know, we, we have a gun control law in place just to keep black people disarmed so we could continue oppressing them under Jim Crow. That's an obvious uh, one, but I feel like we're still doing that to this day um, with the gun control that uses monetary um, money, basically like uh, tariffs, taxes, whatever you want to say, uh, oh, stamps. Yeah. I mean, that's also in a way, I don't want to say it's completely right, like just based it's on race, but it's, now, yeah. it is an elitist thing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is. I mean, it, it, what, what the only thing that's shifted is the authoritarians in charge now. They're not focusing their specific wants of control against a certain demographic. They're just focusing against everyone. Yep. Mm -hmm. And money is definitely a tool that they use to enforce gun control. In Tennessee, after the Civil War, one of the first laws they passed to uh, disarm blacks had to do with money. It, it, I, again, I don't have the, the notes in front of me, but it had something to do with, oh, you, could, you can't own what was the post-Civil War version of a Saturday night special. You know, yeah, I, an expensive version gun. Of, yeah. yeah, an inexpensive gun. It was, you could only carry um, a Colt 1861 uh, Navy or a Remington 1858 Army, you know, and those were back then high dollar items. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea was, well, you know, you got these freed blacks who all of a sudden, yeah, they're free, but they don't have a, a penny in their pocket. You know, they, they went from being slaves to all suddenly uh, being free. Now they have to figure out how to uh, make an income, put mm -hmm. a roof over their heads, provide food for their family, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea of having a higher end luxury made firearm for self-defense, you know, that was, that was impossible for a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And even today, if you go up to the Northeast, uh, or even in Puerto Rico before they revised their laws, you know, you had to get a lawyer, you had to spend money, you had to take the time off from work. It, it, it's it's a way to control people because they don't want the poor to be armed because if the poor are armed and they're the ones being screwed over with taxes and regulations and unfair business event, uh, laws, they're not, they're the ones that are a threat to those in power. Yep. He webs in the chat uh, gun websites in the chat brings up there's gun control in schools they can't learn or talk about them unless it's negative then when asked to vote on guns what are those people supposed to do if they think if they've had no other experience and i agree that's uh that's what they do you know they've taken away obviously marksmanship courses things like that in schools um they've obviously demonized them because of you know shootings that we've had and things like that and they've used that to basically say well instead of trying to say well, look, there's bad people that are always going to do bad things and let's try to prevent evil. It's like, well, let's just demonize the tool instead, you know, that they use because that's a lot easier to just blame an object than to blame bad people or to blame the government for failing when they've had multiple opportunities to stop somebody beforehand um, to prevent things from happening. So I think that's tough. I think that's uh, something that we need to work on. Uh, that's why we've always emphasized here too that we talk about the 2A, that's our focus for freedom-oriented shows. So, you know, we need to get involved in our local communities and school boards and things like that to try to change that type of mentality at the grassroots level. Yeah, I Every would say that I'm... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 I'm talking about all means. 
Uh, I always I mentioned, I, I talk about my, um, I, I, I'm a medical camp counselor at a camp for the last like 15 years. And I'm always surprised every year when I show up and we still have BB guns and a range there. And we actually do that. Um, and I think it's great. I'm, I'm always like, every time I, I show up, I'm always afraid, like, is this going to be the year when they finally get rid of it? Because I know it, the people who run it tend to be, um, you know, of a certain political lean. So, um, but I always see it as their, their, um, approach to not letting not teaching kids uh gun safety or exposing them to guns is kind of the approach of you know um removing sexual education and just saying abstinence like that's yeah. gonna pro that's gonna fix the problem it's not gonna fix the problem it's just gonna what happens when you do that you have higher teen uh pregnancies and more accidents. so it's a good metaphor for that because it's like you're not teaching kids gun safety while thinking that's going to help them keep them safe from accidental shootings or, or actually having curiosity about guns. The opposite is going to happen. You're going to have more accidental shootings because they don't learn safety. That's mm -hmm. why it's important to get that, those programs back in schools. Yep. Uh, you know, everything when it comes to politics starts locally. A lot of people focus their anger and their ire at Washington, D.C. But if you ask them, who's your local town councilman? Who's your school board uh, president? Who is your your county commissioner? They don't know. Mm -hmm. They don't know when their city hall does a, a town hall meeting. They don't know when the school board has a, a, a policy meeting where the public could speak and, and actually influence what goes on. And that's a big problem. You know, you mentioned the schools and how the schools are pulling out anything and everything relating to proper firearms education. That's why, because a lot of people just simply aren't there to say, no, 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 we need to keep this in the schools or let's introduce this into the school system. Um, and also a lot of it does start at the home. Mm -hmm. uh, my father got the curiosity out of me as a child by taking me to the range and properly teaching me with a firearm and also at the same time in the backyard with the little Red Rider BB gun and, you know, teaching me the four rules of safety, always pointed in a safe direction, never pointed at something you don't want to destroy, always treated as it's loaded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember one of the first things he did was he took me out to the range and he put a cardboard box, the cardboard box that my Nintendo came in and he blasted it with a shotgun specifically to show me, this is what it could do. This is how powerful it is. It's not a toy, but it is something that can be controlled. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that literally burnt into my brain. And I always remember that. I was like, yeah, you know, OK, that makes sense. This is something that can be fun, but it has to be done safely. And it was the same thing in the backyard with the BB gun. He always, you know, he always said, nope, you can't shoot it at anything. You could only shoot it at the target that has the proper backstop. So the BB doesn't go beyond, doesn't hit someone else or doesn't hit the dog or something like that. And it, it's... A lot of it starts off in the home, but, you know, not everyone grows up with firearms in the home. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. Some people, you know, they only get into firearms as adults. So that's where I think, you know, folks like you, you guys are doing an excellent outreach program. Um, you know, for women, um, I know there's, I think, the Girl in uh, a Gun. I forget the name of the organization, but it's either a girl in a gun or a girl with a gun or something like that. They have, you know, they, they, you have certified firearms instructors. They take new women shooters out. They teach them. 
Um, you have, um, for the LBGT community, you have Pink Pistols, similar thing. They have certifier, certified instructors. They take their people out. Um, a lot of it is community outreach. Um, I know up in Illinois, you have um, Gun Save Lives. What's funny is they'll buy junked guns, take it to the to those gun buybacks, and then use the funds to buy, buy new guns to then take kids to the range to teach them proper firearm safety. So they'll take like a bunch of junk 22s, buy a couple mm -hmm. of Ruger 1022s and a couple of boxes of ammo, and they'll take kids to the range and go, okay, this is how you properly fire a rifle. That's we cool. tried to do that, by the way. <laughs> our town had, our city had a, um, a gun buyback, so we had this great idea to take a, a junk gun that my dad had that didn't work anymore, and they didn't fall for it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that'd be great. Yeah. It was like an old starter pistol, like a racing starter pistol 22 that shot blanks, and they're like, this is a starter pistol. We're not going to give you anything for this. They had some guy that actually knew guns. He sat there. He was like, are you kidding? I'm like, damn <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I forget where, but I know there was a guy that literally got like two by fours, um, some plumbing and made zip guns. Yeah, I've heard that some of them take yeah. zip guns. Yeah. And, and, and he wrote with a Sharpie on it, like Block and Wesson or, <laughs> or, or you know, like he like he just plagiarized all the major gun names like Block and Wesson or or Wooder instead of Ruger since it was wood, mm -hmm. like a bunch oh of stupid God. stuff, and it, and literally it was a functioning zip gun for a twelve gauge, and he's like, "Here you go, give me money, give me my gift cards." <laughs> oh, that's great! <laughs> Ingenious, so, and you know that that is a, a thing I think that we need to to do. Mm -hmm. The gun grabbers they always try to use the law against us. They always try to to use public opinion and sway. Uh, you know, public thought on, on Second Amendment related issues. But I think you guys are a prime example of it. You're fighting back. You know, how'd you guys get into this? I know your I know your viewers probably understand, but yeah, for me, how, how we, did you guys get into this? We, we've told the story a little bit. Uh, like I said, Johanna and I's backgrounds are very different. My dad was in the military, so he didn't introduce me to firearms uh, because he never really grew up with them, but he was always pro-constitution, nothing against firearms or anything like that. It's just we never grew up with them. Um, I got into them when I turned uh, 18, and obviously being my age, 34, I was in high school during September 11th. So a lot of my older friends uh, joined up in the military. I was a freshman in high school. A lot of my older friends that were juniors and seniors ended up enlisting, and they uh, fought in the war on here. So a lot of them came back from their deployments and they're the ones that taught me how to shoot, you know? So I had a bunch of Marines that taught me how to shoot and take me out. So my first experience was shooting everything from XD4, uh, just XD45, which is like, oh, well, that's not a big deal. But at that same day I shot Benelli shotguns, AKs, AR-15s, everything all in one shot. And then uh, it was a very positive experience because all my uh, Marine friends brought their girlfriends, everybody brought, uh, you know, their, their girlfriends at the time. And it was basically like a family day out. There was like 15 of us all shooting guns of all different races and different sexes. And we had a great time. So I always had a positive experience. And, uh, after that, I bought my first handgun when I was 21. It was a Springfield XD, unfortunately, <laughs> but it was a good gun. It was reliable. And, uh, it was a 45 because that's what, it, that's what everybody bought back then. If you can't, uh, the only reason I didn't 
I bought a 45 was because I could get a 46. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of the 40. So yeah. yeah. So Joe, Joe that, that was, was actually the first gun that Joe shot. shot. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like when you, I like to use the story of like when you're in college, you drink alcohol for the first time. If they give it to you out of a cheap plastic bottle, you don't care. Uh, so it's kind of like that with a gun. If you shoot a 45 the first time and you'll know any better, she was like, hey, I guess this is how guns are. The recoil wasn't so bad. So <laughs> I liked it. Uh, how long ago was that? Oh, that was when we first started dating. So that was uh, 11 years ago. Yeah. yeah. 11 years so ago. That was my yeah. first first time with a gun. And I turned mm -hmm. around. We just went to our local gun range. And uh, after shooting for an hour, I turned around, went to the gun counter and said, I'd like to buy a gun, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just this one, but a little bit smaller. So I got yeah. the, the nine version. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. Uh, actually, for my wife and I, one of our first dates was I took her down to um, um, Henry's Range in Homestead, Florida. Cool. With a uh, suppressed SIG uh, 522 rifle and with a red dot. Because I understand it's like, okay, you know, the best way to get someone into shooting is make it a fun experience. So mm -hmm. 22, low recoil, suppressed, no noise, red dot, easy to aim, steel targets, instant positive feedback. Yep. And she was hooked. And my wife, Aya Boricua, you know, she's born and raised in PR. Awesome. And you, know, and you know what it's like in PR. Good luck. Prior Until recently, good luck getting a gun. So for yep. her, now she carries a Beretta 45. And if she's not carrying that, she has her Browning 20 gauge. Nice. So, yep. That's awesome. That's kind of how I got into it. And then I got Joe into it. But. We're always, everybody knows, we're always very much the casual gun owners. I think like a lot of people in Florida, we kind of took things for granted. I think like a lot of gun owners, you're you're a gun enthusiast, but you're not necessarily a Second Amendment advocate first. And you kind of take it away for granted when you're, when you're around such positive uh, examples of gun ownership. You just kind of like, well, this is America. This is what it's all about. And then you start learning a little bit more first of like, well, why can't I own a full auto gun? And you start asking those questions and you're like, well, these laws seem kind of dumb. So at first you're like, this is stupid. And then you start moving into, well, this is actually oppression and this is suppression of our rights. And I think what really triggered both of us. To, Parkland. Yeah, it was Parkland. And, and it wasn't just Parkland because obviously we didn't have the viewpoint of Parkland that anti-gun people would have. It would be more like, well, if I was there with my firearm, I could have made a difference. I think that's how a lot of gun owners feel. Especially when you saw the reaction of the Briar Sheriff's Office and how they didn't really do anything. Uh, there are the reasons why we call them the cowards from Broward sometimes locally, because uh, that's kind of what they showed that day. Um, so we learned a few things. One, we learned the age old thing that most people don't know is that law enforcement has no con constitutional duty to protect you. That's the first Warren, thing that we learned. Warren, Warren VDC. Yep. That's the first thing that we started learning. Okay. Then, and obviously it started becoming politicized. We had the infamous uh, CNN town hall with Lash and Marco Rubio and obviously the sheriff from Broward. Um, oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was a disaster. And, uh, and we saw how the media was manipulating. So that was strike two. And how Marco Rubio was caught flat, completely flat-footed and Dana Lash was going there basically defending everybody and a politician. Um, then... That was a bad sign that we saw Marco Rubio wasn't willing to stand up for the Second Amendment. He was kind of running scared. And then we saw what the Republicans in Florida did. And we realized, okay, this is how the game is played. Uh, neither political party really cares about the Second Amendment. One side is openly hostile to it, and the other side just pays lip service whenever they need something. And that's essentially how it is.
And that kind of changed our mentality. It's like, we have to get involved because this is, yeah. this is prior total garbage. To, prior yeah. to 2018, I never really stopped and thought about gun control because it hadn't affected me. I hadn't really seen it. It's, you know, you're in the gunshine state and it hasn't, you know, hit home at all. No one's told me I can't have this or can't have that. I just never really thought about it because, you know, as you, you know, with new gun owners, um, cause I didn't grow with them. I never had that. Well, why can't I have a full auto moment until yeah. that first moment of, whoa, you're passing gun control. And then you start opening your eyes and you're like, whoa, there's so much gun control everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, once that door is open you're just like, why, why are you doing this? It should be, it's a constitutional right. And that's the whole, you know, progression that got us to here. And then obviously going to the second amendment rally in, um, 2019 mm -hmm. in DC. Well, thank you know, thank you for what you guys have done. 2018, for, prior to 2018, I was active as a private citizen. I would mm -hmm. uh, lobby at the Capitol and speak before the committees. But I was at that point, I was still just kind of like, okay, hey, look, there's a pro-gun bill. I'm going to speak in favor of it. Why? Because I lived in Tallahassee at the time, and I still do. But uh, originally, I grew up in South Florida. I was a cop down there for half of my career. I spent a good chunk of my career down there as a school resource officer. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, so when, when Parkland happened to me, it was exceptionally uh, hard hitting because I understand the dynamics of the school environment of as a gun owner, you know, when seconds counts, cops are minutes away. And I even understand that being an SRO, uh, you know, I was an SRO in some campuses down in Miami Dade County. You know how the schools are. They're massive. They're huge, yeah. It's like a college. Yeah. yeah. Even if you're there, it still takes a good five minutes to get from one end of the campus to the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for and people I that don't know, know, a lot of the schools in South Florida are like four or 5,000 students. They're literally like community colleges. And any, in any other place, they would be the size, and they look like community colleges. Yeah. So for those of us that for some of our viewers that don't know um that's kind of how it is down here so it's pretty it was a culture shock too for me when i moved down here i was like there's as many students at the school as there are sailors on an aircraft carrier this is crazy it's like a small town yeah i didn't go to high school down here my my graduating class was like 150 yeah i come so from a, a really end up in a magnet school too so my graduating class was close to 2000 people yeah wow. so mm -hmm. yeah you know some in other parts of the country, people really don't grasp how big South Florida is. South yeah. Florida, the Miami-Dade schools alone, I think, is the third or fourth largest school district in the country. Not just the state, the country in terms mm -hmm. of how many students and how many campuses and and, and their size and scope. And, you know, you're, South Florida alone is you're talking about from Palm Beach down to the Keys six to seven million people yep. in a tiny strip. You know, you look at it out of map and you think, oh my God, it's so big. But people don't realize is that South Florida is bordered between the ocean and the Everglades. So yep. you just have this little tiny strip of land that everyone is crammed into. Mm -hmm. And it's just so overpopulated. And that's why the schools are so large. Yep. So to get off that, you know, getting off track there, but Parkland for me was, was kind of a tipping point. Um, I, Halfway through my law enforcement career, I moved up to Tallahassee uh, as a state law enforcement officer. And when Parkland happened, I literally was burning vacation time left and right to fight gun control at every turn. Uh, because prior to that, I remember when uh, 
Miguel, uh, Senator Miguel Diaz de la Portilla was killing gun control, when Senator Eileen Bogendorf was killing was killing gun gun control, when Dane Eagle was killing gun not I'm sorry not killing gun control they were all killing pro gun legislation. When Dane Eagle was killing pro gun legislation as a representative, um, then you had Anatira Flores kill uh, pro gun legislation as a senator. And mind you, these are all Republicans. And this is a Republican supermajority state. This is a state where the Democrats literally have no legislative power. Mm-hmm. They can't they can't filibuster anything. They can't get a majority to overturn anything. They can't block anything in committees. Yet we have 102 Republicans right now. And I could count all the pro-gun bills on one hand. There's only five bills. I have no clue where the camera is focused, so I don't know. Yeah, you got it. It's right in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and two of them are companion bills. So in reality, there's only pro four. There's only four pro gun bills being pushed right now, and three of them are introduced by one guy, Representative Anthony Sabatini. He's introduced constitutional carry, uh, campus carry, so you could carry on a university or college campus, and then a repeal of the gun and ammunition ban during declared states of emergency, the sales during a declared state of emergency. So those are his three bills. And then the other two bills are just companion bills. It's so you could carry a concealed firearm on a religious property if they are either renting from a school or if they have a school on the property. And that's it. Hmm. And we have 102 Republicans and we only have five pro-gun bills. Now, here's here's a question. Would you say that that because sometimes we all have to have a come to Jesus moment as a voter. Is that a fault of the Republican Party or is it a fault of the voters for not being involved and putting pressure on the Republican Party? Or is it both? It's it's honestly both. Yeah. It, you know, as you said, people take things for granted. Mm-hmm. Florida, relatively speaking, compared to the rest of the, to the rest of the country, was pretty good for the most part. We got shall issue concealed carry in 1987. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the country didn't get shell issue concealed carry until the 90s or early 2000s. So, you know, for us, it was kind of like, hey, you know, we yeah, we got to get a permit. But, hey, it's shell issue. It's pretty good. We don't have to worry about signage on businesses saying we can't. Excuse me. We don't have to worry about signage on businesses saying we can't carry because the signs have no authority of law. We don't have an assault weapons ban. We don't have a magazine ban. We don't have registration. So, you know, most gun owners here in Florida take it for granted because I get it. They're they're trying to put a roof over their head and they're trying to put food on the table. They don't have time to be politically involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and, you know, at the same time, they constantly voted for politicians that said, hey, I'm pro-gun, I'm Republican, vote for me. So you had that. Um, in 2019, I met with uh, Senator uh, Baxley at the Capitol. And he's one of the few Republicans that voted against the Parkland gun control bill. And he told it to me flat as as clear as day. He said, Lewis, the reason why Republicans don't push pro-gun legislation is that they don't hear anything from gun owners. They take gun owners silence as approval. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you have financial interests in the state from the tourist industry and elsewhere that put pressure on the Republican leadership not to push pro-gun bills. So the Republican leadership is anti-gun. Mm-hmm. The, the, our current Senate president, Wilton Simpson, you know, 
Republican. He's been a Republican his entire political career. He's the guy that authored the pro-gun bill during Parkland. Hmm. Our current House Speaker, Chris Sprawls, he voted in favor of it. The, the, the senator in the, in the Senate right now that introduced the uh, religious, the concealed carry at religious institutions, he voted for the Parkland bill. And he's right now the Republican Party chair. Why is he, my, you know, my personal opinion of why is he pushing this bill? Because of 2022, the, the elections are coming. You have a lot of Republicans that are either term limited and they want to run for higher office or they're running for reelection. And they need to memory wipe the voter and say, look, we're pro-gun. Hey, we're going to throw this bone at you. You know, I'm in favor of carrying out a church. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. But I think the best way to do it, instead of create a little exemption in the law that says, oh, okay, you can carry specifically out of church. Why not just get rid of all the gun-free zones? Yeah. Well, yeah. Why not just do that? Why not just repeal subsection 12A of chapter 790 altogether and say, okay, just get rid of all the gun-free zones. Problem solved. Mm -hmm. Well, I've always thought, obviously on a state level, it's different, but I've always thought it's so ironic. And I think it's insane that you cannot carry in a federal building, because if there's any jurisdiction that falls under the Constitution, it would be federal. So I would say that the fact that you can't carry in D.C. easily, the fact that you can't go into any federal building is one of the biggest violations of the Second Amendment, because I can see states trying to pull off shenanigans. They shouldn't be able to, but that's a different story. But for the federal government to do it is pretty absurd. So I, oh, it is. it's just I, I, absolutely I insane. I agree with you. I mean, look, there, there's a reason why GOA is called the No Compromise Organization. Yep. It's because we don't believe in compromise. Mm -hmm. We believe in fighting 110% for, for freedom and liberty. Well, and that's one of the arguments that I've always made is that I think it's – we always see that the anti-gun side – whether it's on anti-gun legislation or anything else that they want, they always go for the jugular and they ask for a thousand percent of what they want so that they know that if they compromise on that 900 percent, they still get what they actually wanted. So they'll say, well, we want to ban, we want to repeal the Second Amendment. You're like, that's absurd. You can't do that. And they're like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll take an assault weapons ban. We'll make it so that you can only have like lever action rifles that carry five rounds and revolvers. And then there you go. That's a compromise. And then normal people that know nothing will be like, oh man, that was really nice. They're actually willing to come to the table and give up something. It's like, no, they didn't give up anything. They went for, they went for it all. And the Republicans always go like, well, we'll just prevent your gun bill from being passed, but we won't pass anything. And like, we won't retain anything. It'll just be like, we would just want to maintain the status quo. It's like, why don't you ask for, uh, you know, we need a senator to come out and say every civilian should be able to own nuclear weapons. Oh, my God, that's absurd. It's like, OK, all right, we'll compromise. Repeal the NFA. It's like, oh, OK, these guys are reasonable now. Why are you poking around in my head, man? Yeah, that's what you got to do. That's what I've been saying, because you see the tactics that the other side uses. So you're like, OK, this is effective. Let's negotiate from a position of power. And then when we compromise, we're really getting what we want. Or at least getting the first step towards what we want. You know, in business, the first rule of business is whenever you sell an item, you never price it at the price you want it to sell at. You always price it at a higher price because you know your customer is going to haggle. Yep. And it comes down to the same thing. You know, I want outright repeal of gun-free zones. Mm -hmm. This coming Wednesday at the, at the Capitol, the House version of the uh, church carry bill 
is going to be up for debate and committee. I'm going to go there. I'm going to speak before it. I'm going to say, hey, you know, GOA, we support this bill, but better solution. Just get rid of the gun-free zones altogether. Do it. Yep. So that's that's my attitude is, and, and you're right, the, the gun grabbers, the authoritarians, they always go for the jugular. While the mm-hmm. Republicans, they're always so timid and scared of, well, we, we know we, we shouldn't piss off this certain group or we shouldn't do that. It's like, no, do your damn job. You work for the people. The people yeah. put you in office to defend our rights, not to be some kowtowing, bending knee uh, puss or, or, or sissy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. Uh, now, how did how did your relationship go from uh, obviously being in law enforcement to getting involved with GOA and and become ultimately becoming the Florida director? How did that evolution work? Well, um, during Parkland, I was working with. Um, Oh God, now I'm, I can't remember his name. Um, he he's a lawyer out in Jacksonville. He writes the uh, the Florida Firearm Handgun book. Um, okay, I've got, got the book. book. I don't remember his name, but I have the book. It's Joe something with a G. I can't remember it right now. Uh, Joe uh, Gutmacker. Okay. Um, uh, Gutmacker and I were working together to organize a pro gun rally at the Capitol, and I literally cold called uh, Eric Pratt from the GOA. I said, "Hey, look." I'm a Florida resident. I'm a law enforcement officer. I'm a gun owner, yada, yada, yada. Can GOA come down and help us with this? And Eric not only was like, yeah, sure, I could go down. He called me on the phone. He was like, hey, what what do you need? Um, how can we help? He was very helpful, very friendly, um, very uh, open to the idea of fighting for Florida because he was kind of like, wait, this is happening in Florida? Are you kidding me? I thought Florida was was a safe state. I'm like, no, this is going on. Mm-hmm. And we built a good re- relationship off that. And from there, I was basically the GOA's eyes and ears of what was going on at the Capitol. And um, earlier uh, last year, I was getting to the point where I wanted to hang up the badge as a full-time career. And Eric called me like he always does to get um, – the 411 on what's going on at the Capitol. And, you know, he also simply asked me, how's the family doing? How's everything at work? Cause he knew I was in law enforcement. He, he, you know, what's been going on with uh, all the protests and the riots and the assaults on law enforcement officers. And he asked me, he says, you know, how's everything? And I told him, well, I'm hanging up the badge. And he says, how do you want to be our, you want to be our, our state director? And I was kind of looking at my phone puzzled. I was like, what me? Are you kidding? <laughs> like, like, Eric, there's got to be a million better guys to do this. He goes, no, I, I want you. You're passionate. You have your pulse on the state. You know how the internal mechanisms of the capital work. Um, you're, you're committed. Uh, and I know you're committed because you risked your career as a cop to fight gun control. And, you know, at the time I didn't think about it, but he was right. Because, you know, do you ever really think of seeing an active duty sworn cop standing before lawmakers and literally tell them, Hey, look, I'm a cop. By the way, your idea of gun control doesn't work. This is why. No, yeah, usually it's like, well, law gets passed. I have to enforce it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when he found out I was hanging up the badge and I was originally looking to go into the private sector as a fraud investigator. And he said, Hey, you could do this for a hell of a lot less money. And I was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> Cause for me, it's, 
it's about liberty and freedom. It's it's about making sure that the Second Amendment is protected. It's about making sure the Second Amendment is expanded, not just here in Florida, but all across the country. Mm-hmm. And it's not about money for me. So, how do you feel as a former Leo about the idea of someone who is currently a Leo, um, law enforcement officer, being uh, a Second Amendment advocate? You think that's possible? The reason I say that is that I am friends with a few. And I feel like a lot of them agree with me, but at the same time, I feel like some of them try to convince me that I'm wrong. Um, like I have one friend who will show me a video or something of like something that, you know, oh, this, this guy, he's like, you, I could totally see why, you know, like, yeah, I protect your rights, but look at this guy and he showed me a video of some criminal. I'm like, so I definitely feel like they struggle sometimes with the I'm pro to a butt kind of thing. Because they see so many, they see the dark side of what people are capable of. And sometimes of they're like, yeah. And, and you know, I, I actually understand that. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to change hats here from GOA uh, director to cop now. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand why they have that. What a lot of people don't realize is one, law enforcement is just like the military. It's a cross section of society. You're going to get people from every background and every political stripe in, in that career field. So you're gonna have people that are very pro-constitutional, very pro-Second Amendment. Uh, then you're gonna have people that are you know, middle of the road, and then you're gonna have people that are really anti-gun. And in law enforcement, it's a very political career field. Um, it's not like TV where, oh, you know, you can do this and you, you don't get in trouble. It's like, no, no, no. If you say certain things, you could be brought up for an internal investigation. If you post things on social media, you could be brought up for an IA investigation. If you um, are caught um, advocating for certain things, it could be an issue because you have agency policy that will flat out say in plain English. It's like, even if you're off duty, if you do anything that brings irreparable uh, harm to the agency's image that, that is viewed negatively, uh, you can get in trouble for it. You know, that depends on the leadership of the agency. And what a lot of people also don't understand is that for rank and file cops, it's it's a lot like being in the military. But as you climb up the ranks, you go from being an officer or an enlisted personnel in the military to being a politician. You know, yep. the higher in rank you go, it's, it's less of being a cop and it's more of being basically a quasi-elected official. Or in the case of some agencies, like a sheriff's office, you're literally an elected official. Mm-hmm. And there it's just politics. So um, I know a lot of good cops that they are muzzled by their career and it's not of their choice. They want to be more proactive, but like a lot of people also in the private sector, you know, you got people that work for Facebook or Google or whatever the hell, you know, you got some people there that are, I bet you they're probably pro second amendment. They're pro constitutional, they're pro freedom, but you know, if they say anything, you know, they're can't. Yep. And it comes down to the whole thing of, okay, I have to be responsible. I have to pay my debts. I have to keep a roof over my head. I have to pay for my kids' uh, medical bills, you know, whatever, whatever their personal challenges are, it's a balancing act. Absolutely. And every, and every person has that fine line that they have to cross. And as a law enforcement officer, I was always very pro second amendment. Um, I always had the attitude of if I was given the order to go confiscate guns, I would have just turned in my badge right then and there and said, see ya, I'm done. And I'm a second gen cop. My father did it for 35 years. And I told him that my father looked at me and goes like, I'd do the same thing. I wouldn't do that to hell with that. 
And I had a bunch of guys that I worked with, same way, guys and gals, you know, female and male officers that are that were very pro Second Amendment. And that would have been they're like, nope. Or and since we're here in Florida, if it was an assault weapons ban, they would have been like, I didn't you know, if they did a traffic stop for a busted taillight and a guy had a uh, if an assault weapons ban ever passed, you know, uh, a now prohibited AR-15 with a 30 round mag. I know a bunch of officers that would have just been like, I didn't see anything. Hey, here's your fix-it ticket. Go go to AutoZone and get that uh, repaired. Have a nice day. Mm-hmm. So there's different ways that people fight this. Yeah. But yeah, you know, but people automatically look at all law enforcement as if they're gun-grabbing authoritarians. When that's not the case, it's just that a lot of them are muzzled and they do things on the download to support the rights. Um, well, it depends on the department. Obviously, the attitude too. of each department in the urban areas, you're going to get more anti-gun, I guess you could say left-leaning uh, police departments, whereas in more rural areas, you're going to get sheriffs who are elected officials who are going to be closer to the people. And But you know, but you, but you know that... You can get, get both, both, too. Yeah, You can get both because I live in Leon County, Tallahassee. It's it's compared to South Florida, it's fairly rural. It's only yeah. 250,000 people. I mean, you drive 15 minutes out, you're out in the sticks. Mm-hmm. And here, uh, the, the, the sheriff is... He's made it known that he's anti-gun. Mm-hmm. And you go down to Pinellas County, you know, the Tampa area, um, you got, a, I can never pronounce his name right, but it's a Republican sheriff. He's one of the biggest gun grabbers. He's all in favor of the red flag laws. Same thing yep. with um, Sheriff um, Grady Judd out in Polk County. He, you know, he's chomping at the bit for red flag laws. And he's the same guy that says, oh, well, you know, don't come in my county. My my homeowners, they all got guns. They'll shoot you. I'll deputize everybody. Yeah. I'll yeah. deputize everybody. Yeah. He's the same guy that, you know, literally uh, has, uh, he, I'm trying to be not politically, but, you know, he, he has excitement about going after and enforcing these red flag laws. I mean, the Polk County Sheriff's Office, they're one of the most proactive in enforcing red flag laws. And they go after like kids for posting things on social media, you know, stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. And Polk County is a fairly rural county, you know, very Republican, conservative. And Sheriff's anti-gun for the most part. Uh, The running joke down there is the most dangerous thing, the most dangerous place to be in Polk County is between the sheriff and a TV camera. (laughs) <laughs> he, he loves, loves limelight. limelight. He's, yeah, he's he's on, on TV, TV all the time. time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, but so that, that's that's, that's what, what people need to learn. learn that uh, yeah. just because yeah. your political persuasion doesn't mean anything, the actions speak louder than words. Very and much so. And unfortunately, we've been seeing that pretty much people that are involved in politics are moving towards anti-gun in general. It seems like that's the trend. So the. the the issue that I've seen is the political shift is as the Democrats basically become the Nuevo Socialist Party of America, mm-hmm. you had moderate, what most people would call a moderate Democrat, go to the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. Republican Party is accepting them with wide open arms going, hey, look, we're, we, you know, we're getting more members. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is they're kicking constitutionalists to the curb. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Well, that was one of my concerns. That was like, as we infuse all these new gun owners, we have to do a good job of educating them on their rights and what the Constitution is and the fact that you may believe in certain 
uh, things on the political spectrum that are social issues that are completely outside of gun control. And I completely understand that, that you may not agree with the Republicans or another party in, but if you do vehemently feel that you have a fundamental right to keep and bear arms and to protect your family, you need to really start putting pressure on the politicians on the left to start either changing that mentality or to start realizing that that mentality is going to start costing them in the long run. And I think that so far, um, people on the left, I mean, a lot of them are new gun owners, but they've been reluctant to jump into that because they understand that if you go against the Republican Party, they're just going to they're just going to tell you whatever, man, you're being mean, Pakistan, like whatever, like we don't care. If you go against the Democratic Party, they'll try to ostracize you, shame you and bury you. And I think it's a lot harder for them to sometimes break out of that. I also think a lot there's a lot of like just human laziness um, or the idea like I've had conversations with people of a certain political bent uh, who are new gun owners. And whenever I bring up gun control that we're facing, they always go either, oh, the Republicans won't let that happen or which I hear that all the time. I don't understand that. or some, you know, that just, just, that's just not going to happen. Just, mm-hmm. you know, someone else, someone will stop it. Someone will stop it. Well, it's like this, like, like, it's almost like God's not going to let it happen. You know, yeah. like, and, I hate that. And it's always funny. It's like, so you expect the party that you're opposed to that you essentially voted against, or you voted for their opposition to then come and help you. Like, does that logically make any sense to you? Like, why would you have voted for against them in the first place? If you want them to help you or <laughs> people who aren't of that political yeah. just being like thinking yeah you know people are really riled up about you know hr 127 or in florida um the uh 370 yeah yeah it's SB like yeah ask them okay you're riled up have you actually done anything about it because they're just assuming someone else is gonna write to the senators gonna send an email is gonna send a letter but how many people have actually done that mm-hmm. you, you know um the what got me stop, to stop sitting on the sidelines and get involved was 2011 was an open carry bill. Mm-hmm. I forget the bill number, but um, it was going through the house and the Senate. And in the beginning of that year, it was plain as day. It was an open carry bill. It flat out said, Hey, look, Florida is going to go open carry. And then Senator Eileen Bogendorf, a Republican who championed herself as being pro second amendment, gutted the bill to being what we now have the, the stupid, accidental brief exposure law that oh if if your jacket flutters or if your shirt flutters for half a second and the grip of your pistol shown it's not you know you're not violating the law mind you there's no definition of what brief exposure is so it's entirely up to the discretion of the law enforcement officer yeah Yeah. that's already a political quagmire Mm -hmm. and the following year in 2012 you had the incident in fort meyer with um a gentleman walking down the street he had an accidental exposure and I'm sorry, not Fort Myers, Fort Pierce, uh, where um, someone called Fort Pierce PD and they literally threw him on the ground at gunpoint. Why? Because he was a licensed concealed carry permit holder and his T-shirt overrode his gun as he was walking down the street, not realizing it. And it went to the state Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the state saying, yep, the ban on open carry is fine. but for me, that was the straw that broke the camel's back that got me from sitting on the sidelines to starting to become active and involved. Because prior to that, I would do like what everyone else, you know, I'd, I would pay my uh, my membership dues to another organization. I'm not going to say their name. Mm-hmm. Um, I would elect Republicans and I would be all hunky dory going like, hey, yeah, you know, everything's fine. 
I'm doing my part. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't until I talked, uh, you know, thinking back of some life lessons uh, from an uncle of mine, uh, Mario Gerbao, who was recruited by the CIA and took part of the Bay of Pigs. I remember as a kid him teaching me, you know, the, the lessons that he learned from fighting uh, Fidel Castro and communism and getting involved and all that. And he basically told me, he's like, look, the only way that we were ever going to overthrow Castro was by getting involved. It wasn't going to be that, oh, he was just going to leave. It was like, no, we're going to try to do what we can. Yep. And, and the other thing he always taught me is an armed society is a polite society and an armed person is free. A disarmed person is the subject of a, an oppressive state. Mm -hmm. So I took that to heart and that got me involved in what led me to where I am today. Yep. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, one of the things that we've tried to emphasize is getting involved with your local organizations. Like obviously here we have Florida Carry and you're the director of GOA and pushing those grassroots efforts because they make the biggest difference uh, where you are. And we've already seen that there's only so much that the federal government can do. Even if they pass laws, enforcement is very difficult and it's going to be reliant on cooperation. So I always point the example of the blue states. They set us a great example of how we can do this. California doesn't care if ICE comes into their state and asks for help. They're like, no, we're not going to do anything about it. There's a Supreme Court case yeah. about that. And um, uh, Prince V, I forget the, the full title of the case, but um, it involved the, the Brady gun control bill that was passed in the 90s under Clinton. And prior to the to the instant check system getting set up, there was a, a mandatory five day waiting period for the background check to be done. And the federal law mandated that uh, local law enforcement has to conduct the background check. Well, some sheriff out west, uh, the gentleman's name was his last name was Prince. Uh, I believe it was spelled P-R-I-N-Z-E uh, sued. And the Supreme Court ruled in his favor and basically saying that local uh, county and state agencies can help if they choose, but they're not mandated by federal law to use their resources to enforce federal law. Mm -hmm. And California, when it comes to their immigration enforcement, they literally took that ruling and said the same thing, because all immigration does is they're telling the federal, uh, the, the local authorities to say, hey, we have an, uh, an immigration warrant detainer on this guy. Please hold him in your local facility. Don't cut him loose. And what the states are doing is saying, no, we're not we're not going to keep him. We're, yeah. we're cutting him loose. Why? Because he's a drain of our resources. Go pick him up. Have fun. Yep. And I fully believe that states have the same ability to do the same thing when it comes to federal gun control. Yep. Um, after Hurricane Katrina, Florida passed the law flat out saying that no local county or state uh, uh political subdivision will use their resources to enforce any fa federally mandated gun control. It, but it's not a sanctuary law. It just had to do with declared state of emergencies and, you know, how the National Guard came in and then you had federal agencies and FEMA basically saying, hey, yeah, you know, we got to go after guns because of the declared state of emergency. So it was a good step in the right direction, but it's not a it's not where we want it to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, personally, I would love for Governor DeSantis to flat out say, no, we're not doing crap. Yeah. Biden, you, you could pass all the gun control stuff you want. No. Yep. And the, the flip side of it is you did have an incident in Kansas where they passed a firearms freedom law 
where they said that you could manufacture suppressors in the state and as long as it doesn't leave the state, it's legal. They tried mm -hmm. to null and void the NFA. And you had two gentlemen in um, Kansas uh, make suppressors and they got arrested by uh, BATFE, you know, ATF, mm -hmm. and they were charged for violating NFA. And the state of Kansas didn't defend them, sadly. Wow. They, basically, they basically left them hang out to dry. And the worst thing is they petitioned uh, the Trump administration for a pardon, and they were denied a pardon. Uh, mind you, President Trump uh, campaigned to be pro-Second Amendment. And, that, you know, that comes down to the issue of you can't trust any politician because their actions speak louder than their words. Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't Biden himself say he wasn't against, pro, uh, you know, the, the 2A? Mm -hmm. Well, they yeah. all say that. Yeah, they all say that. Uh, <laughs> so you had multiple instances of that. Um, so... You know, I would love the state to really put its, you know, there it's, um, I can't, I forget all the idioms and sayings right now. I would just love for Florida to really uh, stand up to the plate and say, hey, yeah, we are going to actually do this. Mm -hmm. But it won't happen unless gun owners put pressure on their lawmakers. Yeah, absolutely. We're supposed to be the gun shine state. And yeah. I think your email said there was uh for your GOA email said 11 anti-gun bills introduced in the Florida and, House and, and Senate. And there's, and there's already more that have been introduced. Um, mm -hmm. They've added now a, a repeal of state preemption. Sure. They want to get, they, of course, they're going after stand your ground again. Uh, they've added companion bills to the assault weapons ban um, and, and all the other, you know, they've added, there's like three bills that uh, get rid of the ability to keep a loaded firearm in your house. It has to be locked and secure locked in uh kept away because of minors even though i'm a father i have a kid i grew up in a household of guns you know the, the whole thing is as a parent you should be responsible and keep your firearm safely secured away from your children but that also comes to educating your children too yep now in florida how did where's the delineation and when they decide when something is going to be amended that we can vote on or they just decide to pass it themselves through legislation? Because I know that sometimes like, the weapons being will come up and the people vote for it and obviously more than 60% of us have to vote. Oh, you, you, mean, you mean to modify the state constitution? Yes. Like when do they determine when do they want to throw something in as an amendment or just as – so, regular law. So the way I've seen them go both ways. So the way that works is here in Florida in 1968, the state constitution was revised to where the people via petition initiatives could directly amend the state constitution. Okay. And that goes back to Jim Crow and how you had you know, um, rural areas and versus urban and all that. But the state constitution allows uh, people to amend the state constitution via a petition uh, ballot initiative. Okay. So you get enough signatures across the state, and then it goes for review before the state Supreme Court to see if it is something that actually is um, constitutional under the state constitution. I know it, it sounds crazy, but mm -hmm. the state Supreme Court will review an amendment to see if it's constitutional to amend the state constitution. And if it is, then it's put on the ballot and you have to get 60% of the uh, voting public to pass it. The other way is every 20 years, the state forms a constitution revision committee. And that's part of our state constitution, too. And you have different representatives that are um, uh, sent to that committee. Some are um, 
sent by the governor, some are sent by the Speaker of the House, some are sent by the Senate President, some are sent by uh, the Supreme Court Chief Justice. And they basically form a committee and they'll hash out and review what are the current issues in Florida and they'll pass and they'll put things on the ballot. But that's only done every 20 years. So the last one was literally in 2018. And that's how we got stupid things like ban on offshore drilling and vaping. Yeah. At the same time. That was something from the Revision Commission. And the other way is the legislature, they could actually pass a, uh, a constitutional um, uh, amendment and they pass it through the legislature and then that goes on to the ballot. Okay. But the traditional way that they do it is um, a bill will be submitted in either the House or the Senate. It has to go through three committees. Uh, and then if it goes through the three committees, it goes to a floor vote. So like uh, for SB 370, the assault weapons ban, that's in, that, that's in the Senate right now. So it has to go through three committees. Uh, if it passes the three, it goes to a floor, uh, to a general floor vote in the Senate, which means all the senators vote on it. If it passes, then it's kicked over to the House and it goes through the same process. And um, if the House amends the bill, then it goes back to the Senate and then they will either vote to keep it as is to, to amend it again. And the process is called enjoining. And if the bill is enjoined, it's then sent to the governor to be signed or vetoed. Or if the governor doesn't take any action, it automatically becomes law after a certain period of time. Gotcha. Thanks. No, I really appreciate that insight. I wasn't sure how the amendment process in Florida worked because I see it sometimes. It's a cluster. Yeah, I was, I was like, sometimes it's like they let it's, us vote on this, but then they pass on that. And it's like, who decides what? And I wasn't sure what the entire process was. Of how most, most of the constitutional amendments revisions to the state constitution are done through petition initiative. Okay. Um, they just passed a law uh, that kind of changed it to where it used to be that the petition gatherers were paid a bounty. So for every signature they gathered on the petition, they got like five or 10 bucks or something like that. And you also had outside money coming in outside. Who would pay that? The state would pay that? No, 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 no. The oh, organizers. Okay. So you would have like, um, Michael Bloomberg's uh, Moms mm -hmm. Demand Action, you know, so yeah. you'd have money from New York come in and they would be paying these petition gatherers, these signature gatherers, the bounty and saying, hey, you know, for every signature you get, you get five bucks. Wow. Um, so they just passed a law that says, OK, now you can't have outside money come in to the state to do that. The people that are gathering the signatures can't be paid a bounty. They have to actually be employees of an organization. So they have to be paid a salary or an hour or an hourly wage, no matter if they get 500 signatures or if they get none. And they have to be state residents and they have to swear and affirm to the state that they are state residents. And if not, they are held uh, financially liable. Oh, that's wow. awesome. So that's kind of a nice stopgap. And um, with, I don't know if you guys have heard of ban assault weapons now. Yes, I have. So they have a lot of outside money coming into the state that helps funded their operations in 2018 to, because you know what they were trying to get the amendment on the ballot mm -hmm. uh, to, to go after guns. So that was done. Kind of, it wasn't done specifically for that, but you have that also with the marijuana ballots you have, you know, with all the ballot initiatives mm -hmm. being done to amend the state constitution. So now it's a little different. Now it's more, okay, it actually has to be a grass. They have roots. to work at it. Yeah. They have, 
it has to be now Floridians wanting to actually change the state constitution. Because if not, you get stupid things like you can't have pregnant pigs in cages on our constitution. <laughs> yes, that's, <laughs> so a, weird. That's, an, that's an actual amendment. You can't that's have so pregnant pigs in cages as an amendment in our constitution. I mean... I don't even know how that gets into an amendment, though, to a constitution. That seems like a regulation. They, because they got enough signatures that's, that's to put funny. it on the ballot to say, hey, look, uh, pig farmers put pregnant pigs in cages, and that's animal cruelty. And enough people said, oh, okay, I'm going to vote again. I'm going to vote in favor of that. Yeah, let's not keep pregnant pigs in cages. It's just such a random thing. I'm not opposed to it. <laughs> but I'm, so I'm, not, I'm not opposed to it, but the idea that the cost, that the state constitution, the founding document of the yeah, state, like that. So the of rights yeah, like always is the being end used as a tool to get such stupid mm -hmm. laws passed is, is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. uh, Atomic, Atomic Bulls in the chat asks, is DeSantis pro-gun? Most definitely, yes, I would think. Well, I don't know. Let's ask Lewis. Or is DeSantis, he one of those? DeSantis is pro-gun, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. In 2018, when he was running against Adam Putnam in the Republican primary for governor, mm -hmm. at, the, uh, at the Republicans, I think it, they call it the Sunshine Summit. It's their, you know, the Republican Party of Florida the, yeah. conventions. Mm -hmm. um, Florida Kerry approached... Uh, by the way, I'm a, also a Florida Carry member. I really mm -hmm. support them. Um, Florida Carry approached Adam Putnam and um, Ron DeSantis and asked them the simple question of, hey, you know, the gun control was just passed after Parkland. Where do you stand on this? Adam Putnam basically told Florida Carry, F off. We're not, I'm not answering your questions. Uh, DeSantis literally said, if I was governor, I would have vetoed the bill. Now, um, at the time I was writing for truth about guns and sadly, I don't know where my article on it went, but I wrote about the, the Republican primary and I covered that. And I said, Hey, look, this is a good sign. You know, we've never had someone run for governor that openly spoke about being this pro second amendment. And between 2018 and right now it's 2021. I haven't seen governor DeSantis openly talk about the second amendment again. He hasn't used his office as a bully pulpit to support pro-gun legislation. Uh, he hasn't put pressure on Republican lawmakers in the House and the Senate to uh, push for constitutional carry or campus carry or open carry. And I'm not personally blaming him because, you know, his I understand his plate's full. Um, one of the jobs I had as a state law enforcement officer was actually doing the protective operations detail for uh, then Governor Rick Scott, which... Uh, that <laughs> nice. Rick Scott was on a personal level very nice. On an administrative level, he was kind disappointment. of disappointment. Yeah, yeah. But you know, so I, I understand that. Hey, look, you know, you're running a state of 22 million people. Uh, we have a budget of over billions of dollars. We have a, a number of issues. You know, I get it. You know, your, your plate's full. Um, but I think part of the reason why he hasn't used his office as a bully pulpit to push pro-gun legislation and to crackdown on Republican lawmakers in the House and the Senate is because he hasn't heard again from gun owners. You know, if like Senator Baxley said, silence is approval. Mm -hmm. So I think with 2022 coming up, I think we do need to put pressure on the governor. And it doesn't have to be in a negative sense of saying, oh, you're anti-gun, you betrayed it. It just says, hey, governor, remember, you said this in 2018. We voted for you because of this Please keep your promise. Yeah. 
When I think DeSantis has a lot riding on things now because by most accounts, he's, I guess you could say that he's the successor to Trump. At least a lot of people feel that he has kind of the bombastic attitude, but he actually has the political acumen and kind of the background to actually push some of the policies that we would like him to. So I think it would behoove him to obviously be more pro-gun. And I think you're already seeing the Republican Party kind of coalesce in position about that. I don't know if a lot of people know, but CPAC for the first time in decades has moved to Florida and in Jacksonville. And I think that the greater Republican Party kind of is trying to set up Florida as the, I guess you could call it the resistance state, if you want to call it that. And DeSantis is his leadership throughout 2020. And obviously with everything that happened with the, the virus and, and since then has kind of thrown him and I would say the governor of South Dakota kind of in the spotlight as kind of the front runners as these are the two that are willing to stand up even against the establishment and kind of act more independently. So we need to use that and hold it against them because if he wants to live up to that reputation, he's going to actually have to act upon it. Oh, just, very, very, very much so. I mean, yeah, not just keep riding on the coattails of I'm kind of, the, I was the pro MAGA guy and Florida's doing really well. So yeah, you guys should just support me by default. Well, I think he's going to have his opportunity to show how pro Tua he is between what they're proposing on the federal level, uh, whether he's going to make Florida a sanctuary state, and then what we have going on right now, um, gun control-wise, if he's going to shoot that down or not. Mm -hmm. I, I, I fully believe he'll shoot down any gun, any gun control legislation, but the problem is, is you said that the national uh, – that they're, so they're moving CPAC to Jacksonville? CPAC is moving to Florida, yeah. Well, yeah, I believe Jacksonville. <laughs> so. The fact that the chairman of the Republican Party of Florida voted in favor of park of the Parkland gun control, mm -hmm. the fact that you have Senator uh, Wilton Simpson, our Senate president, who he's putting out the you know he's putting out the feelers that he runs for he wants to run for commissioner of agriculture next year, and that the current House Speaker is, Chris Sprawls also voted in favor of Parkland. That's not a good sign that Republicans are pro Second Amendment. No, no, I, I agree. That's why it's even more uh, pressure on DeSantis now and kind of. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, to show that he can break away from members of his own party in Florida uh, on that issue. Yeah, it's actually moving to Orlando. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. G Webs in the chat says this DeSantis has nothing to do with the holster company, then I assume. Absolutely. I don't believe <laughs> no, so. No. Different DeSantis. Yeah, it's yes. different DeSantis. If he did, then maybe we'd have a lot more hope because then he would have a, a financial incentive too. That would be great. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, would be, that would be awesome having a governor that also makes holsters. I mean, that, that would be sweet, sweet. especially if he still did it on the side. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if that was the case, I would have written to him and said, hey, look, um, I need you to make a nice uh, shoulder rig, kind of like my advice <laughs> for my Smith yep. 645, please. That would be awesome. <laughs> I didn't, for some reason, I never put those two together. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I always just holsters. Yeah. <laughs> Geo in GOA, we had a good relationship with DeSantis when he was a congressman. So mm -hmm. we, you know, our personal feeling is that he is pro Second Amendment. It's just that we think that he has his plate full right now. Of course, and and also it comes down to real life politicking. He's the governor of Florida, but he does have to deal with the Republican Party of Florida and the establishment. The fact the you don't become Senate President and Speaker of the House without being voted into that position by the majority of lawmakers. So that means the all 102 Republican lawmakers in the House and Senate here in the state 
they purposely wanted two anti-gun guys to run the House and Senate. So, and that gets backing from the RPOF. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, what's funny is I could honestly say, I've been a Republican longer than Trump has. Yeah. <laughs> but But the fact that you have the RPOF literally having anti-gun people in power in positions of power that should raise a red flag here in the sunshine state amongst gun owners mm-hmm. oh yeah that, definitely. that we that we just can't rest on the laurels of oh well it's republicans they're more pro-gun than democrats you know that's that's kind of like debating well what's better a, a fresh turd my dog laid out or the one that's been sitting on the sidewalk for a month <laughs> it's still a turd yeah. i don't want to pick it up either way with bare hands yeah oh, that's true Confucius oh, in the like, chat uh, wrote in caps, so I will address his uh, statement since he very much wanted us to read it. Confucius in the chat says, we need to get more people to go get their CCW permits, uh, especially women. It shows the need. He says his sister got one, uh, and those that teach, I guess, do the certificates to lower their prices so people can afford to defend themselves. Absolutely. If you don't have your uh, CCW or a family member doesn't have one, encourage them to get one. I, I don't know um, how much I don't know how much that's actually true, Lewis. Um, I've heard that before. Like, get on as many lists as you can. Who gave us that advice? I forgot. Well, you I know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, does that actually I, I, do I, anything politically? I, I've I've heard the argument um, of being for and against lists. Um, mm-hmm. In regards to uh, on on the individual level, look, it, right now the only way to legally carry in Florida is to get a CCW pro- permit. Mm-hmm. You, in my opinion, the best thing is to hell with getting a CCW permit. Start putting pressure on your damn lawmakers to get constitutional carry. Yeah, that that's even better. Why have a government permission slip when mm-hmm. you know it's an inalienable right? What what a lot of people confuse with the Second Amendment and the Constitution is the Constitution isn't a document that grants you rights. The Bill of Rights in the Constitution was just a list of specific issues that were so important that it was a list to the government saying. Yeah, don't mess with this mm-hmm. because they're got whether you're religious or not, whether you believe that they're God-given rights or not. The founders believe that they're inalienable. You're born with them; they can't be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's a big, you know, our liberties and freedoms aren't privileges granted to us by government. They're rights we're born with. They're rights that we have either because of God or because of the blood, sweat, and tears of previous generations shed to fight and secure those rights. So, look, I'm all in favor of getting a concealed carry permit. I have one. I have one for multiple reasons. So, since I live right across the border from Georgia. I go into Georgia all the time. Georgia has reciprocity. It lets me carry in Georgia. It's a, I also get to skip the stupid waiting period we have here in the state. Yeah. But I think the best thing to do is have constitutional carry. Absolutely. So I'm going through the chat here as well. I just uh, realized I could go from, I could see the comments. Like, yeah, you can see the chat too, so you can address anything. All this time I didn't realize I was just like. (laughs) That's the cool thing about. My my uh, thing just said private chat and it was blank and I'm just like, I don't know what they're seeing. I'm like, oh wait, there's comments. Let me click on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've got our own chat if you want to use it, and then we've got uh, ours. Oh no, Joe, we lost you. You closed. Uh, you closed Uh-oh. out of Streamyard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There she goes. Let me uh, add you back in. There you go. Add to stream. There you go. She's back. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I believe uh, what's the term? Neg- 
uh, negative liberties that uh, basically it's liberties that are pretty much the government doesn't bestow them upon you. It's they can't infringe upon them. So that's yeah, the difference that's, between negative and positive liberties. Yeah, that's, that's the whole difference. You know, the, the, the greatest thing about the American experiment that the founding fathers created was that everyone's born with their rights. It's mm -hmm. you're, you're not granted everything by edict. You're not knighted. You're not making noblemen. It's no, everyone has the same rights and liberties and freedoms. Mm -hmm. And the greatest thing about the American dream is that everyone could come here, take part in it and try to succeed. And if they fail, they could try again, whether mm -hmm. it's whether it's as a business owner, whether it's working for someone else, you know, it's the, the Second Amendment is so important about a number of things, but it coincides with the First Amendment. It coincides with the Fourth Amendment. It coincides with the Fifth Amendment. They're interwoven. Uh, I can't I can't have the Second Amendment right now without the First Amendment. I can't be secure on my person from unlawful searches and seizures without being able to petition the court and my lawmakers by exercising the First Amendment. And I can't defend it without the Second. You know, if I'm try if right now one of the things that red flag laws do is they want to go after the Second Amendment, they want to do it by trampling the Fourth Amendment. What's mm -hmm. that? It's you know, you should have the right to face your accusers in a court of law and have the state prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you're guilty of a crime. Red flag laws do the exact opposite. They go and say, Oh, you're guilty of a crime, you have to prove your innocence. As a cop, I'm against that. I, I never you know, the entire basis of my 15 year career of investigating a crime was I had to prove that the person that is being accused of that crime actually committed it. They didn't have to prove their innocence. I had to prove their guilt. Mm -hmm. Red flag laws do the opposite. It's you have to prove your innocence in a court of law. That's that's ludicrous. It's, it's trampling the second amendment by ripping the fourth amendment apart. And that's yeah. why, like I said, it's, it's all interconnected. Well, people don't see and anybody that doesn't think that that can be used as a backdoor to infringe on other rights or other things like, oh, well, what if we have in the future? I mean, we're already seeing with uh, censorship online and, and big tech. How could they not use that to suppress the First Amendment? It's like, well, we're just basically going to censor you because we don't like what you're saying. And we're going to do it. And we were able to get away with it with the Second Amendment. So clearly we can get away with it with the first because constitutionality doesn't seem to matter in a lot of cases. So, yeah, it's. It's it's a horrible path that right now as a society we're going down. And it's it's really funny looking at history, you know, going back to the 1960s, the uh, the hippies back then, they were anti-government because they wanted freedom. They wanted free love. They wanted to be able to smoke dope. They wanted to not be part of the draft for Vietnam. They wanted to get us out of the war. And now that same generation they're pushing all of this crazy stuff. They're, you know, they're the ones pushing that. Oh, well, you have to be censored. You have to, you can't be able to speak and you can't be able to do this. And you can't be able to, and it, it just. And they became the man. Yeah, exactly. They fought the man and now they became the man. Mm -hmm. And I think with our generation, you know, those that are politically astute and those that are historically astute and that study the past because the past always shapes the future that we've looked at both sides of the political spectrum and realized, you know what? One side is too extreme. The other side is too extreme to hell with that. We just want freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, more and more people are moving in that direction nowadays. 
let's bring up. Uh, I know that you said that uh, you're going to have some events that you're collaborating with Florida Carry. Do you want to go over that and talk about it? I believe March 20th was it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Florida Carry. They uh, they do an annual event in the Ocala area. Um, you could go on their website for more info and eventually. We went last year. event. Is that the one that uh, Rainbow State Park? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I have. Oh, it's I a beautiful place. Haven't, I haven't gone to it yet, just because I've always been busy with work. But now that I have a little bit more flexibility, I'm able to attend even even as an executive member with them. So uh, we got to go last year, and mm-hmm. um, they had a lot of great speakers. They had Rick Ector from uh, the uh, LAID. I don't remember what it stands for. Laid, but uh, he, he, the uh, gets ladies CCW something. Yeah, it's the program where they uh, ladies aren't in Detroit. Yes, that's what it is. Oh. They they uh, have an amazing program where they get um, within like a weekend of two days. They they process like two thousand people through the class for uh, for mm-hmm. CCWs, and I think they do it for free. Yes. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's yeah, they pretty do awesome. like a thousand women and get them their CCWs yeah. every year. That's uh, good on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they had then, uh, um, Paul Lathrop. Paul Lathrop. So yeah. he's part of the Self Defense Radio Network. He did. Which we're part of. Yes. So locked and loaded Latinos podcast. Let's get. Let's go to the housekeeping. <laughs> I've been a bad. I've been a bad uh, member of that. This uh, locked and loaded Latinos podcast is part of the Self Defense Radio Network, which is your home for all your pro freedom podcasts. Uh, like uh, polite, polite society, society podcast, podcast. and gun freedom radio <laughs> and uh, self defense stories. Uh, you can check out all the great podcasts at sdrn.us. So, uh, give everyone a listen. But yeah, Paul was one of the speakers. Um, there are a few, um, actually retired Leos. Yes, that was. The retired Leos were very informative. They got yes. to explain how a lot of people uh, just assume cops know everything about gun laws and really oh, there's no. cops. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually working. I forgot what the gentleman's name was, but starting, I guess it would have been this year. Um, they were actually going to incorporate in all the police academies in Florida. John uh, ex- I think so. Yeah. Where they were going to add more into the curriculum, explaining at least a couple of pages on what the gun laws in Florida are in Florida are so that police officers understand that. Um, you, well, you know, with Florida Carry, how they do their fishing open carry events. Yes. Um, there was actually a video uh, someone recorded, and it's fantastic. It's Florida Wildlife Commission. For those that don't know, that are watching from outside of Florida, FWC are our game wardens. They're a state law enforcement officer that they enforce uh, game laws and fishing laws. We call them grouper troopers as, as a joke. <laughs> but um, they were at some town hall event and someone asked him the question of hey you know what something about gun laws and they literally said oh most most cops have no clue that you could open carry while hunting and fishing and because it's not taught in the academies and they're right i know it as a law enforcement officer because i happen to be very proactive when it came to firearm laws but you know some of the guys i worked with they, have, they wouldn't have had a clue they didn't even know that florida issued ccw permits to non-residents i had a co-worker <laughs> try to uh uh, to bring up the issue of all, oh, well, you know, if someone comes, if someone has a Florida CCW permit and they have a Georgia or a New York license, they're, they're not able to carry them. Like, wrong, we issue permits to non residents. That's why it's the best CCW that you can get in the country, or at least it used to be. I think it's recognized in 35, yeah. 36 states. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people come to Florida to get their CCWs all the time. Still, yeah. I, I still think the best thing is just constitutional care. Of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we had that famous uh, incident where right down here in, in Miami, I think I think it was um, right on the on in the bay on the pier. Yeah, yeah, yeah Miami right. Beach with uh, with uh, Solo Yacker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how he was arrested by Miami Beach police, and he calmly explained to them, uh, "Hey, look, under Chapter Seven Ninety, I'm able to carry." And they said, "Oh, well, we don't care." And they cuffed them and stuffed them and uh, basically roughed them up. And after like an hour and a half, they 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 took the cuffs off and it was like, oh well, not a problem. Did they ever yeah. apologize for that? Um, Florida Carey sued them, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I can say them. this: Fl Florida Carey has an excellent lawyer. Eric Friday is fantastic in what he does. Mm -hmm. So, um, and and going back to the uh, Florida Carey event this uh, March twentieth in Ocala, uh, Eric Pratt from GOA he will be one of the guest speakers. Awesome! Uh, nice. So I will be there. Eric will be there. Uh, I hope you guys will be there. Oh, yeah. Oh, we definitely will. Yeah, we definitely will. Now, I know last year they had a camping event before. We didn't go to that because we didn't know. So I don't know mm -hmm. if they're going to do that. So I'll look more into the details. Um, and if anyone is in Florida and they're interested, and if it's still in the same place, it's an absolutely gorgeous state park that has, like, hot uh, hot springs and, and beautiful trails and definitely looks like someplace you'd want to go camping. So... Mm -hmm. Um, if you're since everybody was camping, I think they everybody was open carrying. Since everybody was camping. open carrying <laughs> since they were camping. <laughs> so for, they for, were... Those, for for folks that don't know, under mm -hmm. state law, open carry is illegal except for very limited circumstances of actively hunting, fishing, or camping. Yep. So everybody was camping. So everybody was open carrying. Yeah, <laughs> they were staying in the park, so it was cool. Yep. Uh, and they usually have uh, a little barbecue, which is really nice. And they had a really nice lineup last year. And I hope uh, I have to look at it, but they they do a good job of getting really interesting people from all over the nation. So if you're in Florida, check it out. Also a beautiful park. The, the springs there are gorgeous. It's like 70 degrees of water year round and you can see it at the bottom. It's a really nice place where they uh, do it if they're going to do it in the same spot. So yep. bring a bathing suit. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice swimming spot. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so what you, else? You, got, you, you guys don't want to see me in a bathing suit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wrote a desk for the last five years as a detective. I, you know, I'm, I was, I became the stereotypical fat detective. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> so it happens. It's like, is that like a, a stereotype that's true then? Um, I cannot uh, confirm, confirm or deny. That. I have a, uh, inkling for donuts. <laughs> Oh man, that's funny. I, I was part of Krispy Kreme Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how that all started. That relationship back in the day. There's got to be a funny story of how the stereotype of it's cops the only and place, started. It was the only place open at two in the morning. You could get coffee and a donut. That's true. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're patrolling and you're stuck in your car, you get bored. You well, that's why, that's why it's true. Because that's why I always remember when I would get out of the clubs. And go to Denny's at like two o'clock in the morning. There's always cops there. It's because it's the only place for them to hang out too. <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that's because of Denny's. You know, the whole donut thing goes back to whew, yeah, long before we were alive and breathing. But yep. back in the day, you know, the only place that was open was the coffee shop serving donuts. There you go. So, so that's where it started. Yep. Cool. Uh, do you have any other events coming up or what, what are things that we can get involved in? Let's let people know. I know that we have a few Florida residents in our chat too so and how they can get involved. First of all, with GOA on the national level, which I, th I think a lot of people know, but you can reiterate that. And then uh, specifically say, what we can do to help you. I was going to say, even though this is specifically tailored to Florida, I think this is uh, really relevant to other states as well. Oh, yeah. 
you know, getting involved in your state is with GOA. One, get involved with your state. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a firm believer of get involved with as many pro Second Amendment organizations as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a member of Florida Carry. I'm a member of GOA. I'm a member of the NRA. I'm a member of VCDL. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm a member of uh, the JPFO, Jews for the Preservation of Firearm Ownership. Um, I'm not a member of uh, of Pink Pistols, but I give them support when I can. And the only reason why I'm not a member is because I've tried to find out how to sign up as a member, and I can't find it. Really? Um, yeah. Gotta yeah. Ask, uh, gotta ask Tony, Tony about, about that because he's friends with uh, Paulette. Aaron yeah. Tony's okay. usually in the chat, but I think yeah, he's Tony tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll I, let I'm, you know. I am yeah. very, I'm that. So that's one thing uh, for GOA specifically. You could go to gunowners.org slash join. Um, and you could start off as a year, you know, a simple year membership, or you could even sign up for our uh, email list and that'll keep you up to date on what's going on. Uh, for specific States, GOA has specific state chapters. Um, they just started the Florida one. That's why I'm the state director. Um, you have, uh, there's a state chapter in Pennsylvania. We have one in Texas, uh, so on and so forth. So GOA is getting into the grassroots state level too. Um, for Florida specifically, uh, I'm trying to build a solid Second Amendment coalition. And of course, you guys are part of the ground floor of this. And it's it's people like you that get in on it. Um, the other thing that, uh, we're in the process of doing is we're going to set up a Florida specific GOA website that will have, uh, all the Florida legislative news, all the, the news on who are the good lawmakers, who are the bad lawmakers, who we might endorse. Uh, we're in the process of, uh, of setting up a political action committee to see if that needs to be done to outright endorse politicians. Um, with the current legislative session, I'm kind of glued to Tallahassee right now, but we're also in the process of actually wanting to work the gun shows. So we're going to have tables at gun shows uh, to try to educate. Um, and when it's not the legislative session, I plan to be around the state literally doing a whistle stop tour. We have a, an industry partner program going on where we have different gun stores and ranges. Uh, and they will uh, be on the ground floor of this, and uh, we'll be keeping them up to date. And they'll be uh, kind of like our eyes and ears, and vice versa. So we'll, you know, there'll be a good back and forth. I plan on hitting up those stores, giving them the support that they need, because um, you know they're putting their time and effort to help promote us and help promote the cause. So of course we should be there for them, because it's all an interconnected community. Um, you know, you guys have been on Hank Strange show. You guys have me on. We'll help each other. Yep. Whether we're vendors, we're suppliers, we're manufacturers, we're activists, we're all interconnected. Because in 2018, when we were doing the pro gun rally, um, that's how I got involved with GOA originally. You had Caltech; they were help funding it. You had um, Khalid, the owner of Shoots Trade; he helped. Uh, awesome. Pay for the buses. Yeah, sadly, no one showed up, but that was an issue because you had 5,000 people go to the Tampa gun show and only 500 people showed up in Tallahassee mm, yep. for the pro gun thing. And, you know, that came down to the whole issue of gun owners are, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That they're 
they're not satisfied, but since it's Florida for the most part, they're just kind of like, oh, okay, everything's content, good. Yeah, yeah, content, take it for granted. Content. Yeah, yeah they take it for granted. So there needs to be a grassroots effort to educate gun owners, and that's where I'm at, and that's where I love the fact that you guys are at because you guys are literally doing it. You guys are grassroots educators. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the GOA is definitely expanding in the Sunshine State, and we are going to – uh, hit the state hard to educate and get as many people as we can. Um, I see in the comments, Confucius says, upset, upset with GOA for sending me a letter that said if I would consider them putting on, I believe it was my will. Okay. Um, I understand why you could be upset with that. Um, but you know what? When it comes to estate planning, that's actually not a bad thing. Um I have a, a, you know, I have a firearms collection. I have a kid. If my kid doesn't want it, what am I going to do with it? You know, what's she going to do with it? True story. I actually know somebody uh, was a friend of a patient Mm -hmm. who was like, I just, my friend just inherited all these really impressive old gun collection and, and knife collection. He was like, do you want any of these? Like, I'm like, I, I can't tell from the picture. It's all blurred. But this guy literally had no idea what the guns were. No I, idea what he had. He's like just I, trying I, to I, sell I, it to random people. I, I never would. I never say no to free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, back to Confucius's comment: estate planning is not a bad thing if you don't have anyone for it to go to. Why not? You know, GOA could put it to good use. We could use it to help fund the organization and help educate people. Uh, we have different uh, political or um, sides of things that uh the funding goes towards because we fight on the state level we fight on the local level we fight on the national level um and even if you don't want to have it go to goa there's other organizations um you know there might be an organization in your area that wants to teach kids to shoot you know if you got a 22 in your collection hey that you know that that saves them 200 bucks and that 200 dollars could go towards ammo for them to teach a new generation of shooters so mm-hmm. I'm always up for estate planning like that. There's nothing wrong with it. Though I don't plan on kicking the bucket anytime soon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So uh, have we reached uh, the point where Joe has to go over the Constitution? Or yeah. do you have any other questions or anything that you want to throw out there? No, I'm good. I'm getting warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> so for those that don't know, or Lewis, since you're new to the show, we always end the um with a, an amendment of the constitution, at least until we run out of that. After that, we'll move on to, I don't know, maybe I'll move on to the federalist papers and the anti-federalist papers and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, but for now we've been going and we end the show with a constitution segment. So we go after, or we go over an amendment in English and in Spanish, because obviously our goal is to, we want everyone to become gun owners, but specifically we're locked and loaded Latinos. So we know that, we have a lot of immigrants or people that English may not be their first language, and that doesn't uh, mean that they shouldn't be educated in what makes this country what it is and knowing what the foundations are. So that's what we go over. So without further ado, what? I think we'll be able to find the Federalist Papers in Spanish. That might be harder. <laughs> that, that's why I would say that would be tough. So We'll see what we can do. Yeah, and that's, and that's oh, some of it's in old English, English too, or, or written in such a way that it would be difficult for us to translate. But we are on, I believe we did sections one, two, and three last week mm-hmm. of the 25th Amendment, which, as everyone knows, the 25th Amendment is extremely relevant right now with our current president. <laughs> so uh, here we go. Without further ado, this is section four. This is pretty long, Joe. So yeah. you can decide whether you want to do the whole thing or you want to. 
Yeah. I would say. <laughs> so, so section four of the 25th Amendment, for everybody remember last week, the 25th Amendment was ratified on, uh, it was passed by Congress on July 6, 1965, and ratified on February 10, 1967. And section four of the 25th Amendment is, whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. The vice president shall immediately assume the powers and duties of the office as acting president. Thereafter, when the president transmits to the pro tempore, president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives his written declaration that no inability exists, he shall resume the powers and duties of his office unless the vice president and a majority of either of the principal officers of the executive department or of such other body as Congress may by law provide, transmit within four days to the president pro tempore of the Senate and the Speaker of the House of Representatives their written declaration that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. Thereupon, Congress shall decide the issue, assembling within 48 hours for that purpose, if not in session. If the Congress, within 21 days after the receipt of the uh, letter written declaration of, or if Congress is not in session, within 21 days after Congress is required to assemble, determines by two-thirds vote of both houses of both houses that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of the office, the vice president shall continue to discharge assume as acting president. Otherwise, the president shall resume the duties and powers of his office. So many commas there. That was that, a huge run on That's a mouthful. Yeah, it is a huge mouthful. I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> it's going to be even worse than Spanish. <laughs> but it's important. It is. Enmienda número 25, sección 4. Cuando el vicepresidente y la mayoría de los principales funcionarios de los departamentos ejecutivos o de cualquier otro cuerpo que el Congreso autoriza por la ley transmitirán al presidente pro tempore del Senado y al presidente de debates de la Cámara de Diputados su declaración escrita de que el presidente está imposibilitado de ejercer los derechos y deberes de su cargo. El vicepresidente inmediatamente asumirá, asumirá los derechos y deberes del cargo como presidente en funciones. Por consiguiente, cuando el presidente transmitirá al presidente pro tempor del Senado y al presidente de debates de la Cámara de Diputados su declaración escrita de que no existe impuesto imposibilidad alguna, así asumirá de nuevo los derechos y deberes de su cargo, a menos que el vicepresidente y la mayoría de los funcionarios principales de sus, de sus departamentos ejecutivos o de cualquier otro cuerpo que el Congreso haya autorizado por ley transmitirán en el término de cuatro días al presidente por tempor del Senado y al presidente de debates de la Cámara de Diputados su declaración escrita de que el presidente está imposibilitado de ejercer los derechos y deberes de su cargo. Luego entonces el Congreso decidirá qué solución debe adoptarse para, el, para lo cual se reunirá en el término de 48 horas si no estuviera en sesión. 
si el Congreso en el, en el término de 20, 21 días de recibida la I lost my place. en el término de 21 días de recibida la ulterior declaración escrita o de no estar en sesión dentro de los 21 días de haber sido convocado a reunirse determinará por voto de las dos tercias partes de ambas cámaras que el presidente está imposibilitado de ejercer los derechos y deberes de su cargo. El vicepresidente continuará desempeñando el cargo como presidente actuante. De, los contra de lo contrario, el presidente asumirá de nuevo los derechos y deberes de su cargo. All right. You read it better than I did in English. <laughs> This is I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. understand their obsession with run-on sentences. Yeah, that's just the way. And, and the ironic part is that this was written in the 60s. So you'd think that they wouldn't have written it in the style of the rest of the Constitution, but <laughs> they did. They tried to copy it over. That was awesome, Joe. That was really good. That's why I have her do it. Porque yo dice que yo puedo hablar español, pero mi esposa dice que yo hablo español, español muy malo. Ella dice la misma cosa con, con, con yo. Y el problema que yo tengo es, yo, español se fue el primer idioma que yo hablo cuando yo se fue chiquitico, uh -huh. pero yo se fue a la escuela aquí en la Florida. ¿Y, sí. qué, y qué idioma ella practica ahí? Inglés. 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 Uh -huh. Entonces, cuando yo se fue joven y haciendo... A un estudiante yo se fue de hablando de español de inglés and my parents did the same thing they switched yep. dramatically from Spanish to English because both my parents were fluent yep. so I speak Spanish like a six year old that's like me that's exactly like me I said the same thing because that's pretty much uh, I was in school up until kindergarten or first grade in Puerto Rico and then my dad was in the Navy so we moved all over the place and it was military schooling everywhere my mom didn't know uh english at the time so it was like well she's got to survive if my dad's gone on a ship for six months i'm a kid i can't do anything to help her so she so had to learn english so that's what we spoke because anywhere in the world they know english Spanish. yeah i totally uh think that's the the difference and it's it's i think all three of us have spanish as our first language but the difference is my parents kind of just like They were obsessed like you will only speak spanish at home and to this day i only speak spanish at home uh and now that i live in south florida it's actually such a necessity because i i spend more than half of my day speaking in spanish in a medical setting so mm -hmm. it's oh, it's, yeah. a, it's a first language in 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 it, it, it down is, here. It is. Yeah. the fact the fact that my wife and i moved up to north florida The only Spanish that gets spoken is here in the house. And my wife just looks at me and goes like, ah, <laughs> and I love it. Look, she's the best thing in my life. Um, you know, she is 100% Boricua, born and raised in uh, San Juan. In the so you're Island. allowing a Puerto Rican to make fun of your Spanish. That's pretty bad, man. Like we're the worst. We can't judge anybody. I, 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 <laughs> he said it. I did it. It's true. Everybody I, hates on us all the time. Cubans have crazy words too. You guys make up a lot of oh, crazy oh, slang. Oh, we, we do. I, I mean, everything's made up. But look, <laughs> look. I, I understand my place in in this relationship, and I yeah. like breathing very much. I like, I like being six feet above the ground. That's true. And, um, wait, hold on. And the problem <laughs> is, around. and the problem is, see. 
now they know how to use guns too. It's not the chancleta anymore. Come on, they know how to use guns too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Sometimes the chancleta is just as deadly. Well, because it's a boomerang, that's the problem. Bullets only go one direction. The chancleta comes back at you. Just like with a semi-automatic, there's reloads with chancletas. That's why they uh -huh. have two. Yep, yeah, that's true. That's why they have two. <laughs> but going with my wife, like I said, best thing in my life. She is my soulmate. She is my partner. Mm -hmm. And I trust her in a gunfight just as I trust her on everything else. That's how it is. And But yeah, she does say my Spanish is bad. And I can actually admit it's like, you know what? You're right on that one. Mm -hmm. But Puerto Rico still copied the Cuban flag, and I'm standing, and I'm staying with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can agree, you guys had it first. <laughs> oh, um, man. Well, hey, thanks, thanks so much for joining, joining us, Lewis. This is a great conversation. I, I hope everyone enjoyed it because we kind of went, went through, through the spectrum of it. It was all just like we're just going to talk about control all this stuff all the time. I think it was a great conversation. So we really appreciate your time. Thank uh, you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And we definitely want to anything that we can do to help you and obviously uh, spread the word. That's our goal. So any, any way that I'll, do I'll definitely be back on the show. I love you guys. You guys, oh, yeah. you guys yeah. are great. You guys, have wonderful, you guys have a wonderful chemistry going on. Thank, Thank you so, so much. much. I appreciate, appreciate that. that. And, uh, and also, I saw the Mandalorian helmet. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. And I liked, I liked it before, before uh, the show came yes. out. Joe knows that I had that our first Halloween that we went out. I have I have uh, photographic proof. I was what I don't know what year, 2011 or 12. Mm -hmm. uh, I was Princess Jasmine, and he was Django Fett yes. in a in a business suit, in right? A suit suit. In a suit 1920s, suit. Yeah, yeah. Gangster Fett is what I. He call refused him. to be Aladdin, so but I mean it worked out. Mm -hmm. It was the same color, so it matched the yeah, outfit. Yeah, we matched. <laughs> and, and if so. it's all right, uh, one last shout out. Remember, yeah, of course. If you want to join GOA, go to gunowners.org slash join. Mm -hmm. And for everybody that's been watching, if you have not so far, smash that like, that subscribe button. Uh, you know where to find us on all of our socials. If you want to support the show, uh, you can hit us up on subscribe.com, locked, locked, loaded, Latinos. Our subscribe star, you can catch us out on um, all the major social media platforms that will still allow us to be on, which is still all of them. <laughs> so we chose to get rid of Facebook, so but we chose to get rid of Facebook, yeah. So we have no presence on Facebook anymore, but we're on uh, the other ones. IG is obviously our primary bread and butter, but you can find us on uh, Gab and uh, what's the other one? Mines now, I like a lot. So, uh, next week. Johanna, actually, let's talk about housekeeping real quick. Johanna's not going to be here next week in, in the flesh. So what's what are you up to next week, my love? Uh, I will be attending the Ambassador Academy at uh, uh, Tactical Disneyland. World of Firearms Training. Yes, yeah. in Orlando. So I'm very excited about that. So I will not be physically here. I might be the guest on the show <laughs> if I can figure out how to do that. Uh, so you might see me next week. You might not. Um, I'm hoping yes. So And then I will definitely be... Yeah, I'll definitely be documenting that um, as much as they'll allow me to. So I'll share it on, well, once I get a video edited, we'll share it on the channel. Joe's going to, I'm, I'm making it Joe's uh, personal mission to get interviews with Diana Muller, Ray, and Lee So you got to get those three interviews and then we'll be good to go. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> you know Diana and Maja. I do. <laughs> so you shouldn't have any problems with that. But, uh, Hey, Lewis, thanks a lot for joining us again. Everybody else, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate uh, you guys make the show worth it. We love the chat and what you guys do. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we will be back next week. 
Uh, take care, everyone. And if you're, uh, again, uh, we don't take for granted that some of you may have not watched the Super Bowl this evening. So we really oh, appreciate oh, that. Oh, oh, wait, wait. That's a Florida thing, right? Like, yes. it's kind of relevant. <laughs> have, hold on, hold on. I have the, the, where the what do I do with the score? Uh, yeah, we're, uh, Florida's winning. Tampa Bay. Uh, Tampa Bay, whatever. Florida's winning. Yes, Florida's oh, winning. Oh, wow, the Buccaneers are actually dominating 28 Good for you, Tampa Bay. I don't really follow football anymore since I kind of gave up on the NFL, but I will take that as a Florida win. Congratulations, Tampa Bay. <laughs> so far. Before I forget, this Wednesday, 3.30 at the Capitol, the uh, religious, uh, the, co the concealed carry at religious institution bills is being discussed in the House. It's going to be in Morris Hall, 3.30. So if you got, so if anyone is watching, and as a Florida resident can be at the Capitol, do it. Are those uh, numbered yet so that people can look up those specific bills? It's, it's House Bill 259. Okay, House Bill 259. So I'm going to put that in the chat, HB 259, and we'll check that out. All right. All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us. And this has been Episode 31 of the Locked and Loaded Latinos Podcast. Take care, everyone, and have a great evening.